I, I shouldn't say usually because I never do this, but I should do this. I usually look down at the person and I say, you're really short, were you a horse jockey? Right, it's a question I often get asked as tall people, did you ever play basketball? The answer to that question is, I played a season of jam ball when I was in fourth grade. Fourth grade, and I hated it. I hated it because I was so bad at basketball. Growing up, I played many different sports. My favorite sport was always hockey. I was a very good hockey player. I was captain of the team for a while. And so my pride got to me, why would I play basketball if I have to sit on the bench the whole game? I hated it, right? I use that story kind of as a joke, but essentially to say, my pride got the best of me, and I wasn't comfortable with the failure. I allowed the failure of not being good enough to limit my success. I think sometimes in America, we measure success based on what we don't do, what we try to avoid. Brothers and sisters, with great reverence, do we ever have that attitude? That if I can't attain something, if I'm not good enough, if I, can, if I fail at something, then I might as well not try it. I might as well not do it. Right, if you're anything like me, you are a uh, recovering perfectionist. That I look out and I try to do different things. And I want to be perfect at those things. I want to be perfect at the smallest things, maybe straight A's, maybe getting good grades. And if I think I'm going to fail, then I just give up. Because it's easier to say, this is too hard. I'd rather fail. I'd rather not fail than to strive for this. Again, with great reverence, do we sometimes have that attitude? If it's too hard, then I'll give up. If it's too hard, then I won't try to, to attain that. My brothers and sisters, today I think the good news that Jesus wants to share with us is this. Failure is not final. Failure is not final. Our readings are packed with this, and I want to uh, get to this in a minute, but right, we have, we have St. Peter, the triple profession of faith that he gives to Jesus. Yes, Lord, you know that I love you three times. Reprofessing his faith in Jesus as the Messiah. I want to get to that in a minute here, but it's just important to, re to recognize and to remember failure is not final. I was reading a story, uh, a news article about a, a psychological experiment. Um, they did this psychological experiment with uh, first graders, and they were, the point of this article was to compare education in the West and in the East, specifically um, uh, America versus Japan. And so they took first graders in both those countries, and they gave them an impossible math problem. Impossible. This, you could not solve this math problem. And they gave this to American first graders, little eight-year-olds, and they said, figure this out. And the average time, do you want to know the average time spent on that math problem by American first graders? 30 seconds. 
Those first graders said, this is too hard. We haven't gotten to this point in the lesson yet. We don't know how to do this. And so we give up. We don't like this. And we move on. On the other hand, these Japanese students, these first graders, these eight-year-olds, they get that problem, and they worked on it for a whole hour. One whole hour. And eventually, the teachers had to say, OK, you can put your pens down. You can stop now. They're like, no, no, no. We are so close to figuring this problem out. We've been struggling for it for an hour. We will figure this out. Right? And the teachers had to say, no, no, no. This is an impossible math problem. You can't figure this out. This is not doable. And those Japanese first graders looked at them, and they were thinking, what kind of monsters are you? <laughs> right? Why would you give us this impossible math problem? But what I love about that story is those first graders looked, and they didn't allow their struggle, they didn't allow their failure to be final. You see, brothers and sisters, failure is not final. Again, with great reverence, do we sometimes have that attitude? Jesus, I go to the confession over and over again for the same sins. The same sins that I went a month ago for confession for. Jesus, I'm still struggling maybe with gossip. I'm still struggling maybe with internet use and looking maybe at websites I shouldn't be on. Jesus, I'm still struggling with pride and vanity. I'm still struggling with these different things and I come to confess them and I feel like a failure. Sometimes we have this attitude. And I hope, brothers and sisters, I hope that it doesn't turn into this failure has crippled me to continue to pursue the Lord. Because the good news, I think, tonight is that our failure is not final. And I think the two examples of this in Scripture are first and foremost the example of Christ. Right, we're in the Easter season. Just a few weeks ago on Good Friday, we remembered the death of Christ. And how could it be that the, the Messiah, the one who is promised to come into the world to set Israel free from all of slavery, to be the king of the Jews, the Messiah, how could it be that he has to experience a death? And on his way to Calvary, how could it be that Jesus picks up his cross and he falls down? That he fails? He can't even walk his way with the cross up the mountain. And Jesus fell two more times, a total of three times. How could it be that this man who's God seems like a total failure? Who's come to set and redeem all humanity? And he's died. How could this be? It seems like he's failed. But the good news is that that failure was not final. The good news is that three days later, he resurrected from the dead, defeating sin once and for all so that we could have life in him. My brothers and sisters, that should give us great hope 
that through Jesus' resurrection, he shows us that death and failure is not final. The second story in our gospel, our gospel for today, where we see this is with Simon Peter. Now we're in John chapter 21 tonight, the epilogue uh, to the gospel of John. In this story, this this gospel passage is meant to be seen in parallel with Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5 is the calling of the apostles. And what's so cool is that the calling of the apostles happened in the exact same spot that John chapter 21 happens, right? So if you remember Luke chapter 5, Jesus is on the shore, and Peter, James, and John are in their boat, and they're fishing. And they're fishing all day, and they haven't caught anything. And Jesus yells from shore, cast your net to the other side. Cast your net, put out into the deep, and you will catch fish. If remember, they pull in that net of fish, and there's so many fish, there's such a multitude of fish that the nets begin to tear. And then Jesus says, come follow me, I will make you fishers of men. Three years later, after the death of Jesus, he's resurrected. And the apostles don't know what to do. So they go back to their former way of life. They go back to what they know how to do best. They go back to fishing. And Jesus, in that same spot, appears on the shore. And he calls out to Peter, James, the the seven disciples who are here today. And Jesus says again, cast your net to the other side of the boat. And they begin to pull in this great number of fish again. In fact, it says the number. They pull in 153 fish. Why 153? What's the significance of 153 fish? St. Jerome, his thought is that he, he theorizes that in this time, the thought was that there are only 153 different species of fish. Which means that by casting their net and pulling all those fish into shore, they caught every single fish in that sea, every different species. Showing us, brothers and sisters, that when we live in the church, that net, the net of Peter, Peter as Pope, when we live in that In that net, it's meant for the whole world. Jesus came not just for the Jews, he came for the Gentiles. Another detail that's different uh, from Luke 5 is that in John chapter 21, the net does not begin to tear. And once again, that image, when we're a part of that net of Peter, when we're a part of the church, we can be trusting that God will be with us. Because his promise to Peter is that the church will not go astray. That you are the rock, and upon this rock I will build my church. And then when Peter realizes that it's the Lord after he sees this and hears this, right, he jumps out, out of pure joy, out of pure excitement, and swims to Jesus on the shore. 
And going back to what I said earlier, failure is not final. What happened on the night of the Last Supper? Simon Peter, before the cock crows, you will deny me three times. Simon Peter, who had followed Jesus the past three years, who had given up everything, giving up his fishing career, giving up everything to follow Christ. On the most important night of Jesus' life, the night that Jesus ordains him a priest and gives him the Eucharist for the first time, Peter decides to leave and deny Christ three times. And Peter, not knowing what to do, goes back to his former way of life. But Jesus gives him a second chance a third chance, a fourth chance. And so Peter asks, so Jesus asks Peter on that shore, not once, not twice, but three times, Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? He did not allow his failure, his denial of Jesus, to be final. He did not allow his struggles, his weaknesses, to be what defines him. But his profession in Jesus and his love for Jesus. My brothers and sisters, our struggles, your struggles, your sins, do not define you. Our failures are not final. But they're a way, they're an impetus in which Jesus draws us ever closer to himself. Despite our failures, despite our wounds, despite our weaknesses, Jesus, we still choose to love you. And if it's not enough to say I love you once, Jesus, I'll say it twice. I'll say it three times. I think failure then becomes a necessary precondition to receive God's grace. That if it weren't for failure, If it weren't for our sins, if it weren't for our weaknesses, would we surrender back to God? If I didn't recognize that I need God, would I surrender everything back to him? Failure becomes a necessary precondition for God's grace in my life. My brothers and sisters, as we approach the Lord today, what are those things that are weighing us down? What are those things that are burdening us? Where do we feel like we may have failed God? Where do we feel like we're struggling? Those don't define us. But the fact that God loves us, he loves us as we are, is what defines us.
So Jesus, as we turn to you today, we come to you with gratitude for saving us, for loving us, in thanksgiving for always giving us a second chance, a third chance, to recognize that our failures are not final. And so with St. Peter, we also pray, Lord, you know everything, and you know that we love you. 